welcome back to the Rodeo Kids podcast. I'm your host, Camry Rorda, and every single week, I just am amazed by the people that the Lord brings onto this podcast and the people that we get to hear from and just how many wonderful souls there are in this industry who are there to share their stories so that we can learn and grow and just get some tips and clues as to how we can live our own. Uh, You know, as they say, iron sharpens iron, and that's what this podcast is about, getting around people who are sharp and who we can learn from and grow from so that we can become sharp as well. And when we're sharp together, the industry grows, we grow as individuals, we grow as Christians, and we just put on that armor of God by listening to things like this and surrounding ourselves with this kind of information. So we are just super excited for you guys to have the opportunity to listen to another Rodeo Kids podcast that is on fire. And before we introduce our team leader and our guest for this week, I just want to encourage you to give us a like, give us a follow, give us a share, tell your friends about it. If there's something in here that just resonates with you, we encourage you to share it on social media and let people know what you think. As we all know, word of mouth spreads faster than anything. So we just encourage you to please, if there's anything in this, share this with your friends, share this with your family and let them know about the Rodeo Kids podcast. We want to introduce this week's team leader, Madison Horde from Michigan, interviewing Julia Judah, who is the mother of eight rodeo kids. She is a God-fearing Christian cowgirl whose conviction for the Lord will just set your soul on fire. During this podcast, she sheds light and inspiration in God's word um, and just opens our mind in simple, easy, and relatable perspectives as to just so many wonderful things about God, about the industry, and about just how to live life for him and how to share it. And so we look forward to you guys listening to her stories. And again, let, let us know what you think and share it with your friends. So let's get started with this week's podcast again with Julia Judah. Welcome to the RodeoKids.com podcast, where we empower youth to be their best selves through the values and traditions of the rodeo and Western lifestyle. Welcome to the Rodeo Kids podcast. Um, Those who have been listeners and those who are just listening for the first time, uh, we have turned the Rodeo Kids podcast over to our team leaders. So they are reaching out to these different professionals and individuals throughout the industry and uh, learning how to create those connections and do their own interviews and um, all this cool stuff that you learn from a podcast. Uh, public speaking is important and learning how to develop these kinds of relationships with people in the industry is important for anybody who has big goals. So this week's team leader uh, who's doing our interview is Madison Horde from Michigan. So I'm going to turn this over to Madison and let her uh, introduce her guest and take over this Rodeo Kids podcast. So my name is Madison. This is Judah. Welcome to the Rodeo Kids podcast. She is a mom of eight great rodeo kids, has her own rodeo association, and is now doing cowboy church at the Michigan High School Rodeos with her husband. So I know you qualified for the national high school finals twice, but where did you begin your rodeo career? And why don't you start by telling us your story? Hi, Maddie. Um, So I began rodeo, um, you know, 
it was a not a great start. Probably a lot of people understand that. We didn't come from a rodeo family. Um, first, you said tell your story, and I think that's a little helpful. I am a mother of eight kids. We have kids ranging from five years old all the way up to 18 years old in our house. We are licensed foster parents. Two of our kids are adopted and six are biological. So that's a really great part of our story that I love to talk about is just our foster care journey and our adoption journey and how God has used that in so many ways and how rodeo has been really instrumental in our family helping through those situations. It's been such a great asset to each of our kids that come into our family. So um, we have six girls and two boys. We run a small jackpot association and we have started doing cowboy church and we also stock contract for a, for a local youth rodeo association. Um, I began riding really young. My dad always loved horses and he always had horses. They were not always broke horses. I don't even know where he got half of them. I remember my first pony he brought me home. It, I rode it out to this little lake area that we had in our home and it ran me into the lake, rolled me off the lake and then ran home without me. It was just not very broke. Nothing at our house was real broke. So we didn't have a lot of experience, but we had a local speed show in our area that we went to that he'd take us to. And we didn't always have lights on our horse trailer when we came home. So we always tried to beat the, beat the sun going down when we came home, which didn't always work. And that's where I started. I began high school rodeoing in ninth grade. Now that was a long time ago and there was no internet. So it was, it was hard to find information on different events and where to go for things. I knew that I wanted to do more than the local speed shows and I wasn't really sure how to go about that. And it was just, I can barely remember it, but some gentleman just told me there was this high school rodeo association. And then he gave me a number just a number, not even a name of someone. So I called the number and it was our high school rodeo secretary who I dearly love. Her name was Carol Randall. She's a wonderful lady. And she gave me information about what high school rodeo was about and then sent me a packet of information about it. Just all paperwork. I filled out all the paperwork, asked my dad if we could go. And we went to our first high school rodeo, just looked at it on the Atlas and drove down. It was in Adrian, Michigan. And when I showed up there, I had never seen a standard um pole pattern before i i had only ever seen speed show pole patterns where people had weaved down and then they would weave back and so i drew second on the ground at my first high school rodeo we didn't have youtube and or anything like that and the girl before me ran a standard pole pattern she ran down she weaved down weaved back and i thought i, I think i better do that or i'm she got a time so that must be the right way to do it so at my first high school rodeo i had never even seen a standard pole pattern before and I just learned so much through high school rodeo that it was such a great association and ended up doing lots of fun things. Made it out to nationals and goat tying my junior and senior year. And we used to have, back then we used to have the Wrangler all-star team. So I ended up being the Wrangler all-star team captain and just trying to do everything that I could do to learn while I was high school rodeoing because I felt like we didn't have the information readily available to us where I lived. So... I did that and then I really wanted to college rodeo. I really did. But I had gone to a, a choir of the fire event, which is a Christian event. Um, my senior year, my parents were our youth group leaders at our church and we were very, very actively involved in our youth group. And I just, another girl had gone down to do this year internship for the Lord and I did not want to do it because I wanted to rodeo. But God very clearly called me to do it. He said, you need to go and spend a year with me and 
but that's what I did my first year after high school. I went down to Texas. The internship was based in Tyler, Texas. And I spent about nine months of the year putting on uh, those Acquire the Fire events and just doing discipleship classes. And then I spent the summer in Africa that summer on a long-term mission trip. So that radically cemented my faith, changed my life, made me very confident in who I was in God and and just was just a really powerful time in my life. And I took that right into college. And so again, we did not have a lot of internet. At that point, we did have the internet. So I started looking up colleges to college rodeo at, and we have so much more information now. Just after taking my kids to the high school finals, the college fairs they have there are so interesting and informative. And we did not have that. So I looked them up on the internet and I picked like two that looked interesting to me. And I drove myself over to the college from the internship base. And the one I picked was Charlton State University. And I didn't know anything about Charlton. I did not realize that it was a major rodeo college or that it was an awesome rodeo team. I just like had a good location and was a good size. And I drove myself over there and did the orientation week. And then I drove myself back to Michigan and got my horses and drove back to college. And I went to college there for four years, met my husband there, at college rodeo there for four years and learned just a huge amount about rodeo just really learned a lot about the different events and um, took me a long time to unlearn a lot of the bad habits I had learned in high school because we didn't have a lot of really what's provided to kids now in clinics and just information online and so you you could learn a lot of bad habits and I had unlearned those which I got a lot of help doing and picked up a lot of great great information, got a degree in marketing. I have a degree in marketing and a minor in political science and worked for a marketing company for a little while after we got married. And then we started having children and kept having children quite regularly (laughs) (laughs) and have eight children. Um, They're wonderful. We homeschool all eight of them. I have five sisters. I have a total of 40 nieces and nephews within about a five mile radius of me. Wow. we have a lot of homeschooling, a lot of really fun things that we do. And rodeo is just a really big part of that, which homeschooling makes that really uh, doable in a lot of ways for practice time and things like that. We do it together, which we really like about the sport. Um, and we do a lot of extra things too. So because we have kids of such different ranges, we have different associations that we're a part of to help get everybody the time in the arena that they need. So what prompted you to start your own rodeo association? Well, we were married in Texas and we lived in Texas. Um, My husband managed a Brangus ranch for a couple of years right after we were married. And we moved back to Michigan right when we were ready to start having kids because most girls want to be by their mom when they start having kids. And um, we moved back and I had been a part of this really great barrel racing association um, I think it was the CT, uh, CT Central Texas uh, Barrel Racing Association. Um, it was right in Waco. We lived right outside of Waco, Texas. And they had uh, barrel races in Waco and Hamilton and um, a couple more of those arenas. They just had a, and I loved the way the association was set up. They had a really interesting points um way they did points and then they had a, a a great really low-key sign-up process and I came back to Michigan and I thought I want to do something like that in my area something that's close to me something that's easy and not that I don't have to get sanctioned and something that I can keep really cheap and affordable because I was you know newly married and things were expensive and horses were expensive and we were going to have kids 
So we have been doing the NCBRA for 16 years now, and we do jackpot, goat tying, pole bending and barrel racing, youth and open. And we've been able to keep the entry fees the same all 16 years, which we're really proud of. And it keeps families able to experience, you know, entering and going to weekly events without it being really with, with it being still cost effective for people. So that's really what prompted me. I came back and I thought, I need something that I can go to that's not going to cost me a lot of fuel money and that's going to be cheap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So from all of us that know you, you're such a great mentor to all of us. So who was your mentor when you first started rodeoing? You know, I there were so many great people in high school rodeo that helped me. Um just that were just immediately jumped on board anyone you asked for for help I do remember before I started high school rodeo a really great lady and I I still whenever I see her I just give her a big hug her name is Barb Houston and she lent me my first um Martha Josie book and let me read that book and I used to because we didn't have the internet I used to look through the pages and just take my my parents owned a Christmas tree farm and in the Christmas tree farm was a photocopier and I'd take that book over and make photocopies of all of the all of the different things that they were telling you to do and she would help me with that I would take my horse I'd ride my horse over to her house sometimes and she would kind of give me pointers on how to run barrels but then when I got to high school rodeo all of the parents stepped in I we didn't rodeo so I didn't have a breakaway roping horse or any calves to practice on and we um one of the kids loaned me a breakaway horse and the dads would help me get tied on because my dad didn't know how to help me with that and just helped me get to different events and get to different things. And I would say it was a com combined effort. Once I got to college, my rodeo coach, um, Shelly Creasy is her name. She was instrumental as a mentor. She loves the Lord so much. She has such strong character and discipline. And she, um, she really was a tell you like it is kind of, kind of person and spent hours with me in the arena after practice, helping me just, learn the things that I needed to learn to catch up and, and change some of the habits that I had created. So I would say once I got to college, definitely her, I would consider her a mentor. And I still really enjoy learning from the things that she's doing today. She's still an active competitor and an incredible Christian and somebody you can still really look up to. You can find her on Facebook and she has all sorts of really powerful things to say. And I would recommend just following her and, and finding those people that not only help mentor you in the arena, but help mentor you with your character. Because really in the end, that's gonna be what makes you a good competitor is having the character and discipline to work through those hard things and recognize when you are the one with the problem and when you need to change the way you're doing something instead of blaming your horse or blaming you know, the ground or things like that. It takes a lot of character to look inside yourself and say, what do I need to change? And what do I need to do different here? And those mentors that really encourage that are really on your team. They're the ones that are really gonna help you see and be the best that you can be. That reminds me of so, what we talked about with the the Trevor Brazil post where he was talking about there's winners and then there's champions. Like a, a winner maybe gets to the top, you know, momentarily, but a champion knows how to stay there. And the only people that really stay there are those who are open and always learning and giving back and loving the Lord. And um, there's a big difference in the longevity of winners and champions and kind of like just along what you're saying, a champion has mentors and they're open and all of that. So I really, I like that you were throwing that yeah. in there. 
Definitely. I just was reading a post from Jackie Crawford where she was talking about her hard year last year in 2022 and then how she actively did things different and asked for help and got on a workout program. I mean, and she is a multiple time world champion, just a, you know, someone that everyone looks up to. And here she is in this same year, really bettering herself saying, what did I do wrong last year? What can I change this year? How do I you know, create a different practice schedule. And I think a lot of times we think I'm going to arrive. I'm just going to show up and I'm going to arrive at this place where I just get it and I'm awesome. And that you never arrive. You never get to that place where you are done learning. And, and that's really what promotes that character is that love of learning. I was just talking to my kids about that the other day. I said, you have to love to learn because if you love to learn, you can teach yourself anything and you can find someone who will help you learn anything. If you love to learn, if you love to ask questions and and mm-hmm. the best people in the world are still. And the quicker you learn that lesson that life is all about learning to love or loving to learn the easier it's going to be. And that's not something that is often taught in this Western culture. So I love that you shed light on that. And hard for kids to hear because a lot of times they associate learning with school and not everybody loves school. You know, I, I struggled paying attention. I, in school, my dad was a really interesting character. He took us on a lot of adventures and he was a little unconventional in a lot of ways. And he would always tell us, don't ever let, let school get in the way of your education. And what he meant by that was learn outside of school, learn more than just what you, what's put in front of you, let life be an experience for you. And I've always been one of my favorite quotes to tell people because we learned so much outside of our school experience and kids can really associate learning with sitting down with a book and learning isn't always sitting down with a book or being in school. It's about, you can learn about anything. It's great as you get older to find something that interests you and just research that and find out all sorts of information about that. And it doesn't have to be something that you don't like. It can be something you're really interested in. Mm. What made you homeschool your kids instead of like going to public or private school? So I was homeschooled until fourth grade and that was back in a time which I, my mom really could tell me a little bit more about that, but she said that homeschooling was largely illegal in Michigan at that time. And so she kind of covertly homeschooled us for a while. I had five sisters and she homeschooled us all different amounts of time. And then she, we were, we went to a private Christian school. And I think that really stuck with us. When I was six, my dad took us all in a camper and a truck with a topper, carpeted the back of the truck. And we all traveled around the United States for a year. All, we had five girls then, and my little sister was born in Ennis, Montana, and we were in that truck, in that camper, all of us and our dog for a whole year. We visited almost every state, and he took us to all sorts of strange places, and we saw lots of things, and it was such an adventure, and he always had such an adventurous spirit, and I think that homeschooling has brought so much freedom, and I remember that freedom as a child, and just the sense of being safe and secure in who I was, and being allowed to just be that person without trying to mold myself into something that was acceptable to a large group of people because because it's a really impressionable time in your life and it can be really hard to be yourself you know if it's not really widely accepted in your social group so that was just a really great reminder to me but most of all we homeschool because we want to be part of our kids daily interactions in their relationship with God because we're incredibly sinful I mean, I'm incredibly sinful. My kids are incredibly sinful. And just 
being there to mentor and parent them according to the word of God daily. And I, and I think that parents are all doing that and they're doing that when their kids come home, but it's really neat to be able to do it, you know, when they're fighting with each other or when they don't want to do a chore and to be able to use biblical, biblical knowledge and wisdom to parent through those things where I wouldn't get that opportunity if they were gone for a large chunk of the day, I would be trying to parent and really infuse those biblical values in them for a really short amount of time during the day. And for me, no matter what happens educationally in rodeo and everything else, our walk with God is really at the end of the day, all that matters. It's, it's the driving force between everything that we do. If God put a love in our heart for rodeo, it's so that we can tell people about the Lord while we rodeo. You know, if God put a love in our heart for track or baseball, it's so that we can go into those worlds and spread the gospel and we're a missionary wherever we go. And it's really important to remember that, that God put those desires in your heart for a reason, because you were called to that place for such a time as this, kind of like Esther. And, you know, I think it's really important for me that my kids are really trained really well in their walk with God. I always kind of liken it to um, going into the army. If you go into the army, they don't send you right over to war. They don't, you don't sign up for the army and they say, okay, tomorrow you're shipping out to Iraq. They put you in boot camp. You need to be in boot camp to be ready to go to war. And our spiritual battle is a big battle. It's a mental battle. It says, you know, we don't war against living things against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities of this world. Like what's going on is a spiritual battle. And we got to be ready for that with all of the armor of God with the helmet of truth. You know, we have to know that the word of God is real. We have to know scripture. We have to be ready for that war when it hits us. And a lot of times it can be really hard for kids to go into that battle. And I don't think they're always really equipped to hit the hard things that are hitting them. And there's a lot of hard things for kids happening right now, especially in this generation. And you probably see a lot of that with kids, you know, in school shootings and, you know, just struggles that kids are having, they need to be prepared for that. So for us, in our family, we really want to take the time these school years and help the kids be the most prepared in their walk with God to go out into the world. It's not because we're scared of the world, because we're not scared of the world, because Christ has overcome the world. We're not scared of the devil. He is under God's foot. But we want to be prepared when the kids go out into the world to really bring the gospel and be firm in their faith. I mean, that's what that year of mission work really did for me. And when I went to college, it was just, you know, college is, is got a lot of temptations in it. And I had a lot of really good friends I was rodeoing with that were not Christians. And it could have been really easy for me to go and do the things that they were doing. And praise the Lord, that never happened to me. I started a Bible study in college and I had it every Thursday night, right before the bar opened. The bar always opened Thursday night. So I'd have my Bible study right before the bar opened with all the girls in my rodeo team. And I had some really neat opportunities because I was so strong in my faith. I never felt like I needed any of those things because God had really shown me that they lead to death. They look like fun, but they lead to death. And so I just felt really prepared to be that witness when I went to college and not fall under the pressure of what looked like a lot of fun sometimes. And I think that's really important. And that, going back to your question, Maddie, is the is the reason that we homeschool is because I can see how easy it is. When we were youth group leaders, we would do this, this game and we would say, okay, somebody stand up on a chair. And I, you probably, anyone who's been to youth group probably done this fun game. And they would say, okay, now there's somebody standing beside you, try and pull them up onto the chair. 
And it's impossible to pull somebody up under the chair if they're a dead weight. You can't pull them up under the chair. And they said, okay, now the person standing next to them, pull that person off the chair. Well, you can yank a person off a chair really easily, right? And that's the same concept of, of bad company corrupting good character. If you, it's a lot easier to be pulled down into bad behavior than it is to be pulled up into good behavior or good experiences. So you gotta be really careful that you're firmly rooted in the word of God, that you have the tools you need to fight the devil and get out there and make war once you get out there. So we don't homeschool because we're afraid. We homeschool because we want to be prepared. That's really powerful. I love that that observation of it. Um, I can, I went live on Instagram for just a second. One person says, um, I actually get scared of the world, honestly. <laughs> like that it's the world is kind of a scary place for adults, for kids, for everybody, if you're not equipped and have uh Jesus on your side and in the gospel and the in his word. So that's awesome. Oh, there you back. Sorry, that glitched there a second. That's okay. That's okay. I was just saying how awesome it is. Um that that's your, your take on it and your observation and for sharing that, because like somebody on Instagram said, like, I, I really am kind of scared of the world. Like there's, even as an adult, it's scary. So being able to provide your kids with that opportunity. Um, yeah, there are bad things that happen in the world. Nobody's going to deny that there's scary things and there's bad things that have happened in my family and to my kids. You know, we have one daughter and she's such an amazing person. We adopted her when she was 13 and she has, and she has an amazing testimony of what she went through before she came into our home. Terrible things, hard things happened to her. And, and it's amazing to see God was with her during those times and he's preparing her now, but there were really bad things and we can't avoid those. But I love to think of great adventures, you know, that we weren't meant to be potluck people as Christians. We were meant to be warriors because in the battle is the adventure. You never watch a good movie that just has you sitting down and eating dinner every night the same. I mean, nobody's going to watch that movie. You, you watch movies where people like, I always think of, J.R.R. Tolkien, he wrote Lord of the Rings, and he made a great adventure to make a metaphor of the Christian faith because they went out into all these dangerous situations to help, you know, save the good in the world, because that's what we're called to. We are warriors in our spirit as Christians. We're meant to go out into dangerous situations. We just need to be prepared in those situations. And if you don't have that, you know, life's not that exciting. It's really exciting to be a Christian. It's really exciting to see what direction God takes you. He's always moving you and changing your direction. I'm sure Moses never expected to be leading the Israelites to the wilderness and seeing mm -hmm. all the things that he saw. I mean, he didn't know those things were going to happen in advance. And what an adventure he went on and what a life he had. Then if he would have just stayed in Pharaoh's palace, you know, and done the same thing that everybody else before him did. All great stories have danger and hard things in them but we have a god that is fighting for us and he he wins he he wins in the end so we mm -hmm. know that amen so you said that you adopted amarin when she was 13 um what made you adopt kids well you know that is i'm a pretty practical person in a lot of ways it's really funny because i i came from a really amazing family with great parents we had an amazing childhood lots of great adventures with my dad and a lot of hard work and great lessons. And I just always felt like God had overly blessed me, overly blessed me in family and hard work ethic and all the tools I needed to be successful. And I just, I've always felt like God doesn't just 
randomly give those things to people and then not give them to other people. Sometimes we can feel like, well, how, how did you give that family that great family? And then I had all this trauma and things like that. But God gives those situations to be, if he gave you a lot, he expects you to use it a lot because he gave you more than he gave other people because he expects you to go out and be the hands and feet of Christ. There's some great worship songs about that. And when we got married, my husband did not have the same vision as me. He was not ready to be a foster parent, but I really felt like I knew that we were going to be entering a stage of life with little kids that I was going to be home a lot. And I wasn't going to be able to do lots of volunteering and, you know, be just out in the community doing lots of really great things. So I thought to myself, how can I bloom right here where I'm planted? How can I really reach the lost, the brokenhearted, the people who need me, not just another, you know, person that has, you know, kind of their needs all met. Where do I find those people when I'm not even leaving my house? And God just really gave me foster care. He said, this is, you're already home. You're already in your house. You can bring another child into your house and you can take care of them. And maybe you won't keep them forever, but you will be able to pray over them and bless them in that time. And you'll be able to meet with their birth parents or any other relatives that they might have. And and they're going to feel the light of Christ and every person in that situation, your caseworker, all those people that you normally wouldn't come in contact with, they're going to see the light of Christ. And so I was just convinced we needed to do foster care. And my husband was like, no, we do not need to do foster care. And he'll tell you that he's so funny about it because God really changed his heart, but it really scared him. He was just nervous about it in a lot of ways. And I can understand we have lots of people that ask us questions about doing foster care. And I love to talk about it. I love to give people, you know, an inside view on that because it's such a powerful way for young mothers to be the hands and feet of Christ. And um, he kept telling me no. And I kept bugging him about it. And so he said, finally, I think to put me off, he said, we can do foster care after we have two kids. And so I thought, okay, so we came, we had, we had our son Roscoe and then we had Lila and we were driving home from the hospital with Lila. I had had her and we were driving on our way home. And I said, okay, are we ready to do foster care classes? I think he thought I'd forgotten about it. And he was like, what? He had a strategy and it wasn't working. He was really thinking I was going to forget about it. And with mom brain, I probably could have, but the Lord had laid it on my heart and I just was very focused about it. So he was still really unsure about it. But I said, well, what if we just go to the classes? You don't have to foster if we just go to the classes, but we can't actually foster if we don't go to the classes. And so he said, oh, we can go to the classes. So we go to the classes and God just broke his heart. There were so many testimonies of so many people out there just selflessly doing things for these kids. And and just the stories that you heard of lives that were changed, not necessarily kids that were adopted. A lot of people just want to adopt because they're really stressed about a kid returning to their biological parents. And just knowing that these kids are not ours anyway. My kids are not mine. My my own biological children are the Lord. Um, oh, it was, I can't remember the title. It was basically Imperfect Women and, and Their Immovable God. I'll have to remember the title. But it talked about um, Elizabeth Edwards and her husband, and they had, I think, 12 children. A couple of them died, and he founded Harvard. He was the first president of Harvard College, and they were missionaries. He was a pastor, and they sent their 12-year-old son with another person as a missionary across the Appalachian Mountains, and they said to him, you may die on this trip, so be ready to meet God. And I was so wowed by that, that they were giving their son back to God. And they were like, this will be sad for us, but you are gods. 
and we give you to God. And I really believe that with all my children. So it makes fostering a lot easier because if those kids do go back to their biological families, um, you just know that that was the season that God had for you. And you have to grieve that. I know of a foster mother who only fosters newborn babies before they go to their um, permanent home. And every baby she keeps, she takes a week after they leave to grieve them leaving. She goes into a room, she grieves them leaving. She gives that situation to God and then she moves on to help someone else. And so there's always a grieving if, if something doesn't turn out like you want it to be, but God still uses those situations and we have to be willing to be used for the kingdom of God. So fostering, is not easy. One of our daughters that we got from the hospital, Stella, she, um, we had her for a year and a half before we were able to adopt her. But right before we were able to adopt her, she had some relatives step forward that wanted to adopt her. And we almost lost her to some of these relatives. And it was such a great faith building experience because God moves in those really hard situations. So that is how we started fostering. Um, we started with our daughter, Stella, and, and fostered her and adopted her and still have a great relationship with some of her biological family. And our other adopted daughter, Amarin, we actually did not foster through the foster care system. She has a unique story, but she came to us through a traumatic event and we uh, um, had her in our home and became her guardians and because that was really the, the most logical way to go about um, her situation and were her guardians for quite a while before she became adopted because adoption with older kids is a little bit different. Adopted kids, once they are 14 and older, kids have to consent to their adoption. Otherwise, they can remain in foster care or they can remain in a guardianship. So we just adopted Amron last year and she's graduating this year. So that is a really cool story. She has an amazing testimony and I just love when she gets to share that. Do you think your faith grew when you taught all your children about the love of God? I think my faith grew from my parents who were just incredible Christians. I accepted the Lord into my heart. I remember it was a little church in Montana when I was five years old. And I always felt from my, my mother, who was a very strong Bible-believing Christian, my father, who had a long legacy of just really faithful, godly parents and brothers and sisters. I have a really wonderful Christian heritage in my family. And my faith is really strong because I've seen God move and work through my whole life. And it just grew because my parents were faithful and always turning me to God and not just letting the church teach me about God or my school, because I did go to a Christian school. They didn't let my school teach me about God. They were actively there teaching me about my walk with God. And he moved all through high school and all through college. And I was constantly drawn back to him as the way, the truth, and the life. There wasn't really anything that made more sense to me than walking with God. And I think they provided a lot of discipleship. My mother is a certified biblical counselor. She, um, and so is my, one of my sisters. And so they counsel people biblically through only biblical means and the word of God. So they have just a huge, huge wealth of knowledge in scripture. And my mom did a ton of memorization with us when we were younger. So I have a lot of scripture stored up in my heart that keeps me turning to the Lord for help in practical situations, in everyday stuff. I believe that the Lord gives us everything we need for life and godliness in his word, which means that if you've got a problem in school, if you're struggling with anxiety, if you have all of these issues, there's a place in scripture where God gives you actual usable coping mechanisms to help you walk through this really hard life. And I think that I watched that play out 
in my family and they've given me a huge heritage of faith that I know has shaped me and given me all of the advantages that I've had in life because my faith has kept me so focused and confident in who I am in Christ. That's really cool. We had someone ask a question. How do we not get exhausted with the armor of God? I retreat to take my armor off, let my guard down and to relax. That's an interesting question to retreat and take off the armor of God. The armor of God, I think it, I think what we need to recognize is that the devil is like a a roaring lion prowling around seeking who he can steal, kill and destroy, you know? And so when we try to relax, we're not taking into account that, that we're relaxing in the presence of a monster that's prowling around us. So it's, if you think and you understand what's going on and how we're being tempted and the lies that are bombarding us, if you take off your helmet of truth and you don't speak the truth to yourself and you don't have that armor on, you are in such danger and you're, you're so easy to mislead. And I think the armor and God says, and, and, and his word is so good because he says, you know, my burden is light. And, and so the word of God promises you that his armor isn't heavy. And sometimes we feel like it's heavy, but we're, we're really not understanding and living in the worldview of what's really going on, that our battle is a really spiritual battle. And when we really focus on that, then we understand that we need that armor, that taking it off is unsafe and that that will lead to us being way more tired in the long run. I mean, when you have to constantly, I see this a lot. And one of the biggest things that we talk about in our home is truth. We are always being lied to, especially when we're younger. We just think we know a lot. I remember thinking I knew everything and, and I was just sure that all the things I was going to do were work. And, um, I think the devil has got really specific lies he has crafted for each one of us that have worked our whole lives. I've got a couple that he likes to say to me that really get me off track. I see it in each one of my kids. They're really special for each one of my kids. He's excellent at lying. He has been doing it for centuries. So he's incredibly skilled at picking lies that really seem like the truth to each of us. And they lead us off to death. In the Bible verse that talks about sin, it says, when desire gives birth to sin. So we have a desire in our heart to do something. And if we don't say the truth to ourselves, that's not what I should be doing. The truth of God says that that leads to death. The truth of God says that that leads to bad things that, that, you know, it happens in a lot of things that we want to do in our flesh. We want to do it. It looks fun. It looks good. And we want to do it. And so we, we, we just have that desire in us because we're sinful. Everybody's got them. But when we dwell on that desire, when we think on the thoughts, when we don't take them captive, like the Bible tells us to do, it says desire leads to sin. Okay. It gives birth like a baby. It grows to sin. And then sin when full grown. So it grows up into a big old sin leads to death. So we lie to ourselves and we tell ourselves, I just got to take off this armor. It's so exhausting to be a Christian. And those lies are what are exhausting because they're going to lead us to these terrible situations. We're going to be stuck in debt. We're going to have gambling habits. We're going to have, I mean, that's just like, there's so many ways to be ensnared by sin that all start with a desire from a lie that lead to sin, that lead to death. And then you'll be really tired. I mean, that's where you get really tired when you have to dig your way out of a debt that you knew you shouldn't have spent money on because you didn't stop that thought and say, I shouldn't do that. This is not what the Lord is calling me to right now. You know, God's burden is light. 
I mean, this is a hard world. There's a lot of hard things going on in it, but it's definitely better to keep on that armor of God and be ready and wary. And, and God gives you rest. He says, I lead you beside clear streams of water and I will give you rest. He promises those things. And in his presence, we can rejuvenate and replenish ourselves so that we're ready to keep that armor on. Yeah. Well, and I think too, like when you have that armor of God on, you're actually less exhausted like because you have the knowledge to fight the things that are exhausting. You have the knowledge to the, the choices become easier as your knowledge and your faith grow deeper, because it's just like, I've got God's armor. So you actually get to rest easier when you lay your head down at night, you get to give your problems to God and trust him to sort it out and that it will be better in the morning versus saying, Oh, it's exhausting. What's it's really not what's exhausting is not having the armor of God. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a lie. The devil wants us to believe that your armor is exhausting. Get it off so that I can lie to you. And he wants to tell you those things. And it really, you're right. It's not exhausting to have that armor on, that it's helpful. And it's exhausting to be inside your own head, having the same thoughts swirling around in your mind over and over versus knowing the truth and being like, well, that's what the truth is. So I'm just going to let it be. You know, I know what the truth is. You know, in rodeo, I think a lot of the things that help us are habits. When I was rodeoing in high school, I did not come from a really competitive sports family they were really fun and they just didn't put a lot of emphasis on sports and so I didn't have a lot of the practice skills that other kids may have had and I just did not understand how people were winning I'm like they must just be very talented that they're always winning and it took me going to college and seeing those girls practice for hours and hours and hours to understand it's really very simple and it just takes a lot of effort and and you don't have to be the most talented you can achieve great things through practice which is so comforting for for uncoordinated people like myself very comforting to know that if i practice enough i can actually gain some of the skill that i want to have so i think that it's very helpful to know that in our walk with god habits are huge muscle memory in your spiritual walk huge things muscle memory in your in your faith those scriptures that you memorize they come to you because the word of god is living and active sharper than any double-edged sword it's alive in it it, if you store it in your heart it comes out in the moments you need it supernaturally like you'll just hear that verse you memorize right at the moment you're talking to someone and it just comes to you like in this podcast the lord brings us those verses that are stored in our heart and that's muscle memory that's biblical muscle memory that we talk about a lot when we practice in rodeo, but also works for your faith so that you're not always fighting the same battle in your mind. You learn that muscle memory, get those scriptures down pat, practice telling yourself the truth over and over and bam, life gets easier just like that. Amen. Who was your biggest Christian influence? My parents, which is, it's, it's hard to say because it's pretty cliche, but my mom is a powerhouse for the Lord still to this day. I am so inspired and encouraged by her love for scripture. She's doing a biblical counseling um, certification right now and just pouring through scripture day and night. She she had my dad, they, went, they go to Arizona for the winter and they were up every morning at six, spending a couple hours every morning going over this biblical counseling literature so that she can pour herself out for others. My mom is super selfless. She probably has about three pots of soup on her stove at all times, large pots of soup, because so many people come to and from her house. She's constantly feeding people and feeding people with the word of God. And she, she's not a martyr. She doesn't feel, I don't think that she never does anything for herself, but she doesn't really do a ton of things for herself because she finds such satisfaction 
in being a Christian, in mentoring people. And she's in probably three right now, very difficult situations with different people where they are just having hard things happen in her life where she is, they have come to her and she's counseling them and making space. And that's not like a walk in the park to always be immersed in these really hard, broken situations. I mean, I think a lot of people want to, you know, maybe take up golf or, you know, rope or different things like that. But she is just finds such a passion being the hands and feet of Christ. And I think she really gave that to me and my sisters because I really love being able to see God move in the relationships I make because I'm in rodeo or because I'm homeschooling my kids or because I get to meet kids like you, Madison. I mean, it's just such a blessing and it's such an excitement and it's not like, Oh, there's this other thing we got to talk about. And, and she is the reason I feel like that. And my dad, because he was such a disciplined follower of God every morning, he was up having his devotions and had us up having our devotions every morning at six o'clock before the bus. But he made sure we had that habit of getting up and giving the first fruits of our day to the Lord. And it became an easy habit for me to have as I went to college and I was on my own. I'm like, I got to get up and have my quiet time. I feel like dad's watching me somewhere. So they were great <laughs> spiritual influences to me. And to this day still are growing. They're, they know the Lord better. My dad knows the Lord better today than he ever did when I was a kid. And he's changing still as a person, 70 years old. And I see God changing and moving in him in making him different even today. So I love that. There definitely would be the people that I are inspire me the most. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm really excited about you and your husband doing that uh, cowboy church. So what was your deciding factor on making this happen? I you know, Maddie, I, that is a struggle, especially for my husband, because I am a talker, but I, you know, David, and he's not as chatty as I am, but God definitely called us to do it because we, we haven't had cowboy church at the high school rodeos and, and, and we spend a lot of weekends now on the road. I think we counted them and we were gone 33, 35 weekends last year. And so that doesn't give us the ability to be at our home church on the weekends, which can be really hard. And I think as a Christian, it's really key to understand that we need to be with the body of Christ. We can go out into the mission field and be around people who don't know the Lord, but we have to surround ourselves with other Christians as much as we can, because we're going to fall kind of like that chair analogy. And, um, Jesus did that. He went out and he spoke to people and ministered, but who did he always have around him? His 12 disciples, right? They were always people surrounding him that had faith and could lift him up. And so it's important to be a part of your local church. And if you rodeo, that becomes difficult because you're gone a lot of weekends. And so what we need to realize though, is that our body of Christ is everywhere. I knew that because I went to so many places. I remember worshiping in Africa in this giant tent. It, there were 16,000 people there and they were all African, very few Americans. And we were family because we were believers together. So your family is not just your immediate family. It's all of your brothers and sisters in Christ and they are everywhere. But you do need to make sure, it says, Paul says, do not give up meeting together. You know, you can't just be like, I know there's Christians out there and I'm sure that they're, you know, going to pray for me. You have to meet together. There's, God calls us to do it and it's a powerful thing and it encourages us and gives us and refocuses. I, I just went to the Easter service and I was like, oh, I don't want to get everybody ready. And 
And I don't know if this child had a shower and I don't think we have shoes for this kid. And we got to the Easter service and I was like, oh, this was hard. And we get in the Easter service and the Lord just met with me and I was able to fellowship with other Christians and my spirit was filled back up because we are not meant to fill ourselves up one time with the spirit of God and then go out into the world. God continually needs to meet with us every day and we need to meet with the body of believers to stay strong. So we, I would say that David, who's going to probably lead Cowboy Church, did not, again, so the foster care, feel really like he was equipped to go do that or called to go do that. But he felt like if we were going to be on the road, we need to be in our body of believers. And it's not there. So if no one is doing it, we need to do it. And that's what we're called to as Christians. If nobody's doing it, then you got to go do it. And we started mm -hmm. with the Youth Rodeo Association that we do, the Mitra Rodeos. And we kind of stepped out in faith there and started doing church there. And it was just the neatest thing. Started with just a few people. And by the end of the season, one of the parents was leading worship with his guitar. And we probably had 30 or 40 people worshiping together and encouraging each other before the day, kids getting a good start to their rodeo day with the word of God. And it was just super encouraging. And so that, at that point we had done high school rodeo for a year and David felt like it was time that God was really calling him to step out and, and provide that for all of us Christians that are, are there at the rodeos that want to make sure that we're still meeting together with our family, with the body of believers. I have a, um, a question, you know, you've talked about how, um, important your parents' relationship with God has been and, um, some about your husband's relationship and how you're raising your family and stuff. And, uh, right now, you know, Madison's a young lady and there's plenty of young, young gentlemen that listen to this as well. And how, what advice do you have for them as they're going to high school rodeos and, and they're exploring, um, you know, building relationships as friendships and as boyfriends and girlfriends and all of that. What, uh, what kind of advice do you have for that in a world right now that there's so many conf conflicting ideals on this? That is hard. And I still very actively remember my struggle as a young person to choose the right things in situations where right things were not going on. And um, we, we really encourage that in all of our kids because we're with them a lot. And I, and I, and I'm sure Madison could tell you that our kids, you know, probably seem like they may have a little bit stricter rules and we really talk to them a lot about what's going on, but we really feel like, and I want to encourage kids that are going out into rodeo. It is, it is a place where you can be with other Christians and strengthen your faith, but it's also a place that you can minister and to remember really to not think about yourself constantly and what will make you happy and what fun you want to have, but recognize that God is using you and to, to really understand that when we focus on ourselves and I want to have fun and I just want to have this good time and I don't want to think about what's good for me, that that ends up leading to making us miserable. I have lots of different kids in my house and all of them struggle. Uh, everybody struggles and all of us struggle. You know, there's no perfect kid and there's no perfect situation. And every one of my kids has done things that I, am, you know, they've been punished for or grounded for, or their phone has been taken away from them. You know, they're just not perfect kids. But the key is saying, you know, I am going to fail in these situations, but what is my ministry and mission for my life and staying close to that ministry of serving others and serving God. And then when we fail, not if we fail, because we will fail. We will 
struggle and we will make choices we wish we wouldn't have made. My motto, which has been the whole of my adult life is begin again quickly. Get up as fast as you can. Get on the right path as fast as you can. Don't let the devil lie to you and say just because you may have felt like you ruined your witness or done something that you're going to get in trouble for that you just keep barreling down that path. Just stop and say, I'm going to begin again quickly with my walk with God. He welcomes me back. He goes and looks for that lost sheep. If I'm the lost sheep, which I am going to be, I'm going to be that stupid sheep that wanders out of the fold and <laughs> gets itself wanted, you know, stuck in a crack somewhere. I just need to begin again as quick as I can and recognize that that's just a testimony that God can use for somebody else who's struggling in that area. And really, really, guys, I, I'd encourage you to surround yourself with godly friends. And if you can find somebody who knows the Lord, you know, just be, become close friends with that person and try and, and iron sharpen iron there. Get those friendships that really are going to encourage you in your walk with God. And remember, remember that God is fun. God is exciting. And your walk with God is a great adventure. My greatest adventure in this life. And I've been a lot of places. I backpacked through Europe with two of my sisters for three months without a cell phone. I, you know, went to Africa. I've, I've been lots of places and done a lot of things. And I would say the greatest adventure of my life is being a Jesus follower. He, if you let him lead you, truly lead you, not just decide where you're going to go and ask God to come along with you. But if you let him, if you wake up in the morning and say, what do you have for me today? He will take you on the greatest adventure of your life. And don't let the devil lie to you and say, he's got a better adventure for you. I want to, I want to give you this story and my kids are so sick of it, but I use it all the time. And they're like, I'm never going to watch Pinocchio again, because I always say <laughs> there's a Pinocchio where the kids, all the bad kids get taken to, to pleasure Island. I don't know. Do you remember that movie? Oh, I never did watch Pinocchio. Not the new one. I haven't seen the new one. So I'm not recommending that because I, I've heard mixed reviews on it, but the old Pinocchio, the old Disney Pinocchio, Pinocchio is you know off trying to get to school like he should go to school and and he's on the way and he wants to be a good kid and he meets this other really fun kid and he is like come on we're all going to pleasure island and pinocchio is like okay i don't know hold on i'm gonna come along with you you seem like a nice guy so they go to pleasure island and it's just everything you could ever want as a kid you can smash stuff you can they had you know all the kids had beer and they're drinking and they're playing pool and smoking cigars and you know there's just every thing that would be a big no they can do and all the kids are just having a great time they're just having the best time and all of a sudden it starts to get dark and the kids just start to disappear and nobody knows where they're at and Pinocchio's with his friend and he's in the pool hall and he's like they're like where'd all the kids go and all of a sudden his friend grows a pair of donkey ears and Pinocchio's like oh what's wrong with you and then his friend's like nothing's wrong with me this is the best time of my life and then he grows a donkey nose and then his pose and then all of a sudden he turns into a donkey and I'm not sure if any of the younger kids here know that story, but it, and then Pinocchio starts to grow ears and he's got a tail and he realizes that all of these kids at Pleasure Island have been turning into donkeys to go work in the salt mines. People have been luring them in with all of these things that look like fun. And then they turn into donkeys and they load them up in crates and they send them to the salt mines. And there they work for the rest of their life in the salt mines because it, and then Pinocchio runs as fast as he can. He gets away, but he still has ears and he still has the tail, which are the consequences of his choices. And in the end, when he becomes a real boy, those things fade away. He doesn't have them anymore. But it's just such a reality of sin. It looks so 
fun. It looks like everybody who's doing it's having a great time. And it's just not true. They're really being hauled off to the salt mines because sin leads to death. And those kids that are struggling, a lot of times that are doing the things that they're doing out there that you think look like so much fun, they're sad. I've talked to a lot of those kids. I've been in relationships with kids my entire life. And they are looking for somebody to talk to them, a parent, or they're having a hard time with their friendships, or that is not really what they want to be doing. And it might look like fun, but it's really just you turning into a donkey and being dragged off to a salt mine because then the devil has you in an addiction. He has you in trouble. He has you getting hauled off to jail for a DUI. He has you all sorts of trouble that looked like so much fun when you started it. Wow, that's really, that's that's a very powerful story. And I, I think that's so true. You know, I'm, I get to work with a lot of youth too, like Madison, and we just had our leadership retreat and we're um, reaching out to other kids. And, and once you get past the surface of what things look like, you know, there, we all want so much more depth. And right now we're living in a culture where it's hard to reach that depth when all we see is, you know, the highlight reel all the time. And we're always competing with the highlight reel. And so, um, finding those people and that support system and those other Christians and um, those other people who can help you see who you really are and, and how much you're worth beyond what looks like fun um, in developing who you are. And as you've said it, I can attest to, you know, definitely as you follow Christ, the doors that open in the conversations that you yeah. get to have, I mean, and the phone calls that will pop up out of nowhere. Um, yeah. That you can tell are are brought to you by God and the people who are brought into your life when, when you do wake up and say, what's in store for me today? I'm here for it. I'm open for it. And I will make time for it. And the, the lives you changed and the healing you see happen and just just the power of God. I and mean, there's no power greater in this world. I mean, people love to dabble in things that they think are powerful or that brings some mysticism and god is like the ultimate sense of supernatural mystery and he does all sorts of things you know in the in the books of narnia they talk about the lion aslan and he you know is is the metaphor for god and and they say well he's not a tame lion you know he's not safe but he is good mm-hmm. and that's what god, not safe which but he is good and he's a great adventure to be on. Yeah. Well, we don't want him to be safe. To be safe, he wouldn't be able to fight off the things that we need him to fight off. So absolutely, um, it's like, there's a thing going on around right now that it's like you, you have to be dangerous. You know, you need to know how to be dangerous, but you also need to know how to control that danger. But if you're not dangerous, uh, then what do you have when it comes time to fight? You know, when I feel like in my life and my parenting life for my kids is just that warrior mentality that we're preparing. We're preparing, you know, we want to be on the front lines. We want to be active in the battle. We want to be people who don't just, you know, aren't part of the same friend group and just do that because it feels good. We want to reach out and and be a blessing to everyone around us. We want to see the kids out there that need a friend and be a friend. We need to be looking mm-hmm. and We, and I always say that to the kids, we've been given so much. We just, by being in America, we've been given so much that God must have something great for us to do. Yes. That's, that's just, all of it's so awesome. And I love that. Uh, 
Very, very good stuff. Uh, I did have just a couple simple questions as we round it out. So if you have eight children, what kind of vehicle do you drive to get everybody to and from? I'm going to show you. You can't see it on the podcast, but I drive a Ford Transit here. You can you can see it behind me here. See that? <laughs> That's like the, um, I think, like a tourism van or oh, yeah. the, an- the airport shuttle an airport shuttle that's what it is it's got it's got 15 individual seats so we touch each other less when we're driving very important that, that people aren't touching people there's still yes. a lot of touching that goes on that causes a lot of fighting but the individual seats are helpful we like that so that's what i drive we have a couple of trucks to pull the trailer we have a we have a six horse trailer with bunk beds in it so that's very long and we sleep in there all 10 of us together wow so. We get a lot of questions on that, but we sleep the little kids, two to a bunk, and then we have a pull-out couch where two kids sleep, and our youngest one sleeps with us, and my oldest one sleeps on a pull-out ottoman that makes a twin bed. So that's how we fit in our trailer. <laughs> oh, that's fun. That's fun. Um, what's your favorite kind of ice cream? You know, I like, I like, um, I like that birthday cake ice cream with the chunks of birthday cake in it. I think uh-huh. that's my favorite. That's awesome. And then Madison, there were a couple of Instagram questions. Um, did you want to ask those real quick? Uh, yeah. So one person asked, you accomplish so much in a day. How do you stay motivated? You know, I, I wish I could give more inspiration that I've always been a highly motivated person to get a lot of stuff done. I have a lot of dreams and I have a lot of passions and I wake up wanting those things to happen. But I believe at this point now that I'm older and way more tired than I was even 10 years ago, that it's the organize, the organization of my day, that we have a, we have a really firm morning time schedule that helps us get through the things that we need to get through. We have a lot of people in a lot of different grades, and then we have a lot of people practicing different ages, different horses, different events, and we have to be pretty organized to get all that done. I would not say I grew up a very organized person. I was really very passionate and lazy a little bit. I I couldn't be too lazy because my dad was a really hard worker. He had us working for all of our own money by the time we turned 11. We pruned Christmas trees. And it's a very boring job. And it's very tiring. You would go out into the field and prune Christmas trees with a machete all day, starting at like six in the morning. And you do the same thing all day. And that's how we earned all of our money. We got paid piecework. So like a couple cents every tree that you pruned and that's how we bought all of our school clothes and we paid for all of our own lunch money and we paid for our own fuel and all those type of things and so I couldn't be too lazy but I I was inherently lazy in my nature I wanted to not do any of that stuff so I tried to get away with a lot of stuff and being a middle child which I was I could get away with quite a few things and I was pretty sneaky my mom will attest to that. There was a lot of meals where people were cleaning up the meals that I was hiding under the kitchen table. But as I got older and I, I really realized how much practice and discipline are an integral part of both my sport and my faith, I really developed those disciplined habits and then learned to break down my day. Very specifically, this is how I get through it, is you break down your day by the hour. And I was listening to a really good podcast from a professional breakaway roper. I think it was on In the Loop podcasts. I can't remember her name, but I thought she did a really good job. She had a full-time job. She was breakaway roping professionally. And she said, the most important thing is that I break down my day 
hour by hour, half an hour by half an hour. And I just do the things that I planned out for that day in front of me. I don't think about the next one. I just do it right in front of me. And then by the end of the day, all those things are accomplished. And that's really the best way to go about it because otherwise you just start stressing yourself out, thinking of all the things you have to do and you haven't put them in their proper place or in a time slot. And so then you're like, when will I do that? So if you put them in a proper place, you sit down and organize your day, then you can get all of those things done. So another one was, what would you caution young riders against that is common in the horse industry? I was just talking with a friend about this. I think for teenage riders, you know, it can be really easy to blow up your horses. That's the first thought that comes to me is just horsemanship. Um, There's so much available to young riders in horsemanship. Maddie, I think you do such a great job with that. I'm so inspired by all of the horsemanship that you do and what a great rider you're becoming and how you don't expect really immediate results from all of your horses and just how fantastic like your horse Texas turned out because you took that really seriously and you're such a fantastic student of horsemanship and that's what I would say which a lot of older people say and horsemanship can be hard because it doesn't seem like it's the most fun because kids want to go fast right away and that can really blow up a lot of really good horses I've seen a lot of really good horses get blown up get arena sour not be able to be used because we didn't learn the horsemanship we needed. I always say horsemanship is like tools in our toolbox. When a horse starts to have a problem, you can pull out the tool you learned and be able to use it in that situation. But if we don't take the time to fill our toolbox with lots of horsemanship tools, then we're going to have all these situations and we're just going to get frustrated. And then we're going to blame our horse and we're going to say it's a bad horse. And then we're going to do the same thing with the next horse and the next horse and the next horse. So the best thing to do is take the time to learn that horsemanship So I would say that that is skipped a lot. It's not always skipped in other disciplines. You know, I I think in dressage or even um, Western equitation events, they do a lot of of horsemanship in those events. And in speed events, we can just kind of just rush in there sometimes and, and try and ask our horses to do more than what we're capable of doing. And another, you know, another thing would be getting, if you're learning something new, getting a horse that's your teacher. You know, you, you want to have somebody in the relationship who's the teacher. So if you are learning a new event, you know, trying to get that older, more, you know, pattern, really wise horse to be your teacher until you have learned the skills you need to go teach a young horse. But, but that's a big problem that I see a lot of the times is, is, you know, young horses, young riders that are both trying to learn at the same time. It can be really, really difficult and then really frustrating really frustrating for the kid, really frustrating for the horse and everybody just gets frustrated and then then people want to quit. And we want to get to a spot where we learn good muscle memory from our, from our older teacher, the horse. And then we have the skills and the muscle memory then to teach a younger horse. And we know what we're doing. Somebody should always be leading in that relationship. I think that all goes and ties into like what you talked about, like with your relationship with God, you know, like your armor is your toolbox. Your knowledge is your toolbox. Your knowledge with your horses is your toolbox and taking that time and in all things in life, you know, having that education and being willing to learn the things and to take the time to learn the things and to accept that there is no end. There is no end of the learning. There is no end of the amount of tools. Like think about a man's shop, like your dad's shop, like they can always Mm -hmm. find more tools to buy. (laughs) 
we can always buy more shoes, you know, or like, you use the tool and you just buy the same tool. Like sometimes you forget that, you know, something about riding and five years later, you'll be like, I remember that drill that really helped me with this one horse I had, but I forgot about it. And now I have this other horse and all of a sudden it comes back to you. You buy the same tool. Yeah. Yep. And that's in everything um, and everything that you do, just having that toolbox, that armor, that ability and that knowledge to, to continue learning and growing. I think it's so key. And, and I, I really, it's the theme of a lot of the things I think about is that at 40 years old, riding horses, I just got a new three-year-old horse for myself and I'm riding another young horse um, that we have. And we have a couple of, of babies that are born at our house that we're going to finish out as the kids get older. And it's so interesting to me still. Every horse I ride is just, I'm learning still how to be better, to have better horsemanship and how to learn more about how to have more of a feel for the horses. And, and I'm still learning and I've been riding my entire life and it's still so interesting. It's becoming more interesting as I realized how much I didn't know last year and I didn't know the year before. And I think this, I, it's such a parallel for my walk with God because my walk with God is more interesting than it was when I was 18. I feel more powerful as a Christian in my purpose in God. I feel more prepared. I feel like he's teaching me deeper and more intimate things that I couldn't have learned when I was 18. I just didn't have the spiritual capacity for it. And now I do. And I can't wait to see what he's going to do in another 20 years and another 20 years. I, I think having both of those two things, having horses and having my walk with God just make me excited for the rest of my life because I know I'll never be bored. Yeah. I have two more questions and then we'll wrap it up. We want to be respectful of your time because we know you've got a lot on your plate. Mom. That's okay. That's okay. This is very quiet and peaceful Ooh. here. <laughs> <laughs> kind of nice. A little bit of a change. <laughs> um, but you know, you're you're talking about purpose and how you, you've gained your purpose for young people who are listening to this or even parents who are trying to maybe find their own purpose or help support their children in finding purpose. How do you figure out what that is? Oh, that is a good question. I think it's so unique to who God creates us to be, which is what makes the world such a cool place to be in. I think he puts desires and dreams in our hearts. And we see that a lot with rodeo. I mean, how many kids do you see that didn't come from rodeo families that have just pulled themselves into that world with everything they've got to try and learn how to do it because they just have this passion that they can't explain that God put inside them. You know, and I, I feel the same way. There's a family, you know, close to us that plays a lot of basketball and they both love basketball and the kids love basketball. And I see them in the same way that God has put that in their heart and they're teaching it to their kids who now have a passion for it. And I see them just really ministering the word of God in the circles they're in. They're playing AU basketball. And I'm like, God is moving. And he put that desire and that passion in their heart. And we always have to be careful with those that they don't, you know, come in front of the Lord or, you know, hinder our, it's a big thing with rodeo or any sport that it doesn't hinder our first and foremost, our relationship with our family, that we have time for our family and, and to other parents out there that can be really difficult. If your kids are playing a ton of different sports, and you're never home together. I think the key is to really understand that a family is where we learn about God and where we learn safety and where we learn who we are and that that we learn how to interact and have good relationships. And that has to be first. And that's why I love rodeo. And I and I can't speak to that with other sports, but I, we are never at different practices. We are always together. We are sleeping in the same trailer. We are 
duking out life together. And I love that about rodeo because it puts us together. It makes our family stronger. It makes us have to do more things together and have more memories together. So I think that that's a great aspect of rodeo that I love. But I think just really being aware that your family is your first ministry, make that a priority, always make it a priority. And then, you know, understanding that we have to continue to really listen to the voice of God about what he's calling us to, you know, it's going to be different for you and for your kids. You know, it's not, everybody's going to be a foster parent. Not everybody's going to rodeo, but listen to that. And then, and then make sure that you do it, walk out into it and say, this is what God has put in my heart. I'm going to walk out into it. That's what, that's what Moses did in the, in the, dead sea is he he walked out into it until the water parted you know he didn't he you you got to walk out into the thing that god has for you and sometimes he'll say okay that's as far as i wanted you to walk now you can come back or i'm going to turn you here but if he puts something in your heart walk out as far as you can into it and see what he has for you because he puts those different desires in our hearts so that every corner of the world gets met with the word and with the love of christ very very good Okay. And then last question, what advice do you have? If you were to, to give Maddie a, a piece of advice, what would it be? It's hard to give Maddie advice because she's so inspirational to me. I just like, if I clone a thousand Maddies in the world, I would have them because she's the hardest worker that there ever was. And really that's why Maddie's so successful. I have never, I mean, there's a lot of kids in the world, but the reason that Maddie is so successful is because nobody practices more than Maddie. And really, there's a lot of psychology that goes into sports, but it's really about the effort you put in. And we do have to practice perfect and we do have to get good instruction because otherwise we can keep doing the wrong thing over and over again. But but when you seek out instruction, and I always see Maddie asking questions. She's always out there asking questions, talking to a different person, getting advice, you know, having that humility is really key. Not being prideful and embarrassed to ask questions and thinking that it makes you look less. It actually makes you wiser. It actually makes you more of a competitor to get out there and ask those questions and not be embarrassed to ask questions. And then, you know, the practice, the time, it's monotonous. You know, they say that about all of the, like the Rocky scenes in movies that if they had to actually time the amount of monotonous working out that they did, it would be the most boring movie of all time. So they do like a five second <laughs> what takes somebody months and months of training to do. And we're so inspired. We're like, yeah, but it's just monotonous a lot of the time. And it's getting up and doing the do so that you can have the results that you want and finding mm -hmm. a way to do that really hard work over and over and over with consistency. And I think that Maddie just embodies that. I mean, if any of you want to get a life lesson and how to be successful, you just go talk to Maddie. Maybe she should do mm -hmm. the podcast. <laughs> There we go. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time today. There's so, so much awesome stuff in here. And um, those kids who get to be under your ministry, if the churches, uh, the, the rodeos, um, they're blessed to have people like you and your husband in their life. And Maddie's done nothing but talk about how awesome and inspirational and motivational you are and as a role model for her um in Christ as a mom as a woman and as a competitor so uh, we are so thankful to have you on here and just for everything that you shared you know this is this is good stuff that the world needs more of so thank you for that 
Well, thank you for yeah. doing what you do with the Rodeo Kids. It's such a cool organization. I just have loved reading about it. And I've been listening to your podcast and just really inspired <laughs> by them. They're just a really great avenue for kids. And what you guys are doing matters. And it's incredible. I'm so happy that you're doing it. Thank you. We're we're always trying to step in whatever God has for us next. So it's it's fun yeah. where he's leading Rodeo Kids. And we look forward to seeing what the future holds for it. We're praying for you guys. Well, thank you. We'll take them. Welcome back to the Rodeo Kids podcast. I'm your host, Camry Rorda, and every single week, I just am amazed by the people that the Lord brings onto this podcast and the people that we get to hear from and just how many wonderful souls there are in this industry who are there to share their stories so that we can learn and grow and just get some tips and clues as to how we can live our own. Uh, you know, as they say, iron sharpens iron. And that's what this podcast is about. Getting around people who are sharp and who we can learn from and grow from so that we can become sharp as well. And when we're sharp together, the industry grows. We grow as individuals. We grow as Christians. And we just put on that armor of God by listening to things like this and surrounding ourselves with this kind of information. So we are just super excited for you guys to have the opportunity to listen to another Rodeo Kids podcast that is on fire. And before we introduce our team leader and our guest for this week, I just want to encourage you to give us a like, give us a follow, give us a share, tell your friends about it. If there's something in here that just resonates with you, we encourage you to share it on social media and let people know what you think. As we all know, word of mouth spreads faster than anything. So we just encourage you to please, if there's anything in this, share this with your friends, share this with your family and let them know about the Rodeo Kids podcast. We want to introduce this week's team leader, Madison Horde from Michigan, interviewing Julia Judah, who is the mother of eight rodeo kids. She is a God-fearing Christian cowgirl whose conviction for the Lord will just set your soul on fire. During this podcast, she sheds light and inspiration in God's word um, and just opens our mind in simple, easy, and relatable perspectives as to just so many wonderful things about God, about the industry, and about just how to live life for him and how to share it. And so we look forward to you guys listening to her stories. And again, let, let us know what you think and share it with your friends. So let's get started with this week's podcast again with Julia Judah. my gosh, that was awesome and so full of amazing information. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. As we said in the beginning, please, if this resonates with you or you think there's somebody in your circle, in your life, in your bubble uh, who could benefit from this, hey, let them know about it. Give us a share, give us a like, give us a follow and tell them about the Rodeo Kids podcast. We also want to let you know about our ambassador team. We are fired up with our monthly Zooms. We've got challenges going on. We have daily prayers being sent out. We have small groups to help hold us accountable and help us reach those gold buckle dreams because we have got some big ones and we believe that you can achieve them. But we also know it takes a village and we want to be part of your village. We want you to surround yourself with those who want to win as well. So our team leaders and our ambassadors are on fire right now. They are making some things happen and we want you to join. You have until April 30th to become a Rodeo Kids ambassador member. So head on over to rodeokids.com to check it out now. If 
we can help you in any way, shape, or form at Rodeo Kids, please do not hesitate to reach out. We wish you the best of luck, safe travels, and of course, God bless as you are chasing your gold buckle dreams.